the way paved by his grace. There's absolutely positively none like him. No God before him. No God after him. For our God is worthy. And he reigns. He reigns forever. He reigns forever. He reigns forever. And as you know, today is the day which we celebrate, which we will be which we are celebrating and recognizing black history, even though black history cannot be contained to just one month. We make history every day. And so with that uh, recognition, we're going to do a couple of things differently than we normally do on Sunday morning. First, we're going to have the Negro National Anthem, or Black National Anthem, sung by Rennie, and then we have a reading by Sister Sherry. And then I'll bring the word. Amen? Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, lift every voice and sing just a brief history and, and very brief. A lift every voice and sing was written by James Weldon Johnson as a poem. Right. And put to music by his brother, John Rosabon Johnson. And they did this in uh, 1899. And in 1900, 500 school children from Florida, where they were from, sang it for the first time. And as they sang it and as they grew older and moved away and they took that song with them and so it became popular in the in the Negroes churches and, and, and the spaces where we you know just spaces where we were. So in nineteen nineteen the NAACP decided to make lift every voice and sing the Negro National Anthem. And this was a this was twelve years before the Star Spangled Banner was the national anthem. Amen. So we were ahead of, ahead of our time. Amen. Uh, so the rendition of this song that I'm going to do today is the first and part of the third verses is all. But if you ever have time to read the whole thing, it's, it's worth reading it to see all the, all the verses because they all mean something. Amen.
Because bigger change than they seen is coming. You're the beginning of that change. But be careful. Change never comes without struggle. And joy never comes without pain. In your lifetime, you will see a big struggle. But you have each other to get through it. Don't let little things keep you from doing the big things. Others will try to stop you. But things are already moving. They can't be stopped. Everybody that looks like you is not on your side. And everybody who don't ain't against you. Talk to God. And never stop loving. The more I write, the more I see. The more I see, the more I know everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Learn from the past that's not yours. Take the gift of what I have seen and use it to love. This is the recipe of life. The road to freedom. Freedom ain't just about living free. Mm -hmm. It's about being free. Mm -hmm. The chains on our wrists ain't as strong as the chains on our mind. Mm -hmm. The only thing that can win over that evil is love. So learn to love. Strive to love. Because we ain't got time for nothing else. That's right. These words are an excerpt from a book written by Bertrice Berry called Redemption Song. It's a fictional account of love and the connection of African Americans to our past. And when we look at the struggles and fortitude of our ancestors, we will find a roadmap to our own emotional and spiritual liberty. Our history is painful, but it's also hopeful. Mm -hmm. So this is my story. I was born in Hannibal, Missouri, a little town on the Mississippi River. My mother was widowed at a young age with two kids and went on to raise nine children as a single woman. She struggled to raise us and often took escape through alcohol. Needless to say, my childhood was hard. I often would say we were the poorest people in Hannibal. And if we weren't, we were the poorest people I knew. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oddly enough, we survived with the help of the Miss Ruths, the Miss Frasers, and the Aunt Julius who helped to get us the nurturing my mother was unable and perhaps didn't know how to do. As far as my father, I wouldn't reconnect with him until I was 38 years old, long past the age of needing a father to help mold your life. Like in the narrative of Redemption Song, in order to be at peace with my existence, I had to forgive those who I, who I believed had failed me and show gratitude to those who gave assistance. I had to choose to set free my mind and the past hurts and allow love to win. Later, I was able to understand and appreciate my mother and the struggle she had raising us. It had to be overwhelming, living in a segregated town with very little education, no money, little support system, and a house full of kids. If I weren't in church, I would say bad blank kids, because we was bad too. <laughs> One of my first heroes was my brother Tyrone. Tyrone is two years older than me, but he had an attitude and an intellect far above anyone else I knew growing up. He always knew he was going to be somebody, and because he was going to be somebody, so was I. Tyrone was the first in our immediate family to go and graduate from college thus establishing that college was an attainable goal. Mm -hmm. And over the years, he has invested in many of our nephews and nieces' higher education. The writer Paulo Coelho says that when a person seeks his purpose in life, the universe conspires to help him achieve it. Mm -hmm. So when Shannon's son, TJ, was graduating from Christ Lutheran School and, and beginning to getting ready to go to Peoria High School, I began to be concerned about the environment he was going to, because you know, that's a sheltered little school, about 300 kids, and 
Peoria High had 900 kids and it was just a different environment. He'd been pretty sheltered all his life. But at that point, that's when my life collided with purpose. It was at that point, a group of friends and I founded Hope Renewed Youth Conference Incorporated. Hope Renewed was designed to expose our kids to possibility, to help them to dare to dream. We introduced them to people such as Arthur Omar Tyree and BET personality Jeff Johnson. We knew him as Cousin Jeff. And we provided them opportunities to develop confidence and expose them through workshops and town hall meetings, luncheons, and concerts. And though my motives were selfish in the beginning, God opened my heart and eyes to all these other wonderful kids equally at risk in our community. Kids who seemed to have no direction or hope, but really were just kids who needed to believe that greatness resided in them. So we had enormous support from the black community and we raised thousands of dollars to hold these conferences. As a matter of fact, I mean, I remember trying to get Caterpillar to sponsor us and I couldn't get to the CEO at the time. So I figured out everybody's Caterpillar email and I'm like, well, this dude's gotta be like what? So it was Henry Collins at the time. I remember get emailing him and he responded back and he told me this was our first conference. He said, if you raise so much, I'll match you. So we went out, we raised the money, and he matched us, and we was able to give our first conference, and that was like 2005. So after 16 years of providing these youth conferences, today we focus on giving scholarships to African-American students through the African-American Hall of Fame Museum. And so last night they had their gala, and we were able to award three uh, young African-American students, two males and a female, uh, $1,500 each scholarship. So we're excited about that. I believe it's our responsibility to teach our children that having nothing should never translate to being nothing, nor is poverty synonymous with ignorance. Like a Barack Obama or my brother Tyrone, if they walk with purpose, they will collide with destiny. Yes, we can. They need to know that the forerunners to President Obama was Shirley Chisholm, Reverend Jesse Jackson, and even Reverend Al Sharpton. It was those black leaders and many more who opened the door for him to run and to become the first African-American president of our nation. Mm -hmm. They need to be told of the sacrifices made by many people for the right to a free education, to vote, to be able to eat and sit anywhere in a movie theater or a restaurant. They need to know that we are a people of great fortitude, mm -hmm. how historically we have demonstrated amazing physical and mental strength. Mm -hmm. Yes, we can. Yes, yeah. we can. They need to know the stories of Nat Turner and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, Meg Rivers, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Barack Obama, my brother, your big mama, your aunties and uncles, your brothers and sisters. They need to be told these stories at our dinner tables. We must teach them that knowledge is power and love is a weapon. It was love that allowed our ancestors to endure 400 years of slavery and then Jim Crow. It was our ancestors' love for God for each other and for themselves that fortified them. Their love strengthened them and lifted them above their attackers. Yes, we can. During slavery, slave owners did their best to indoctrinate our enslaved ancestors with the idea that slavery was natural, mm -hmm. that it was a God-ordained institution, mm -hmm. that it was the right for all white people to own and control the lives of black people. Mm -hmm. Through torture, religious indoctrination, and pitting black against black, they controlled our ancestors. Enslaved people were taught that no one would ever help them 
and life outside the plantation was worse than anything they endured on the plantation. But there are some amazing tales of escape by enslaved people, like mailing oneself to freedom in a box, which was the case of Henry Box Brown in 1849, or like husband and wife William and Ellen Craft in 1848 escaped slavery by Ellen disguising herself as a white man and her husband William as her slave. Yes, we can. During slavery, children were the responsibility of all adults. If a child's parent were sold or died, the other black adults in the plantation cared for them. Each and every one of us still has a role in caring for all our children. We must tell our own stories to our children. We must empower them to search for their purpose. Yes, we can. There is a saying that if you want to hide the truth, put it in a book, which is where we are today. Many of our kids know so little of our history, and we already know around the country, they're trying to make it so that it's not even in history books anymore. They need to know that our ancestors be put to death for learning to read. So if they want to be revolutionary, they should read a book. Poverty and illiteracy are the new form of slavery, and drugs and alcohol addiction are its shackles. It impacts everyone and it's crippling to our children. We must make sure all of our kids in Peoria are given a fresh shake. We cannot stand on the sideline and let others determine our kids' future and destiny. Let us help them get to Yale instead of jail. Mm -hmm. And let us help them know how to soar instead of just getting by. Mm -hmm. Yes, we can. Remember, you'll never go bad doing good, mm -hmm. and you'll never be wrong doing right. Mm -hmm. If we work together, we can turn this community around and empower our next generation of leaders. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we can. That was great. That was nice. That was good. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm just turning on my stuff. That's all. <laughs> Amen. And she definitely was hitting right on the head. We have to know our past. We have to know our history. And it's up to us. Amen. So as we get ready to go into the word, uh, I ask you to pray with me, pray for me, as I deliver what God has to give us on today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, Speak to us, Lord God. Speak through me, Lord God. Give us spirit ears to hear you, Lord God. Let us connect with your word. Let your word flow freely through me as a channel from the wings of the anointing. Father, I pray, God, that as we continue to celebrate and recognize our history, Lord God, that, 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 we are your people. We are the sheep of your pastures. Help us to realize that. Lord God, we ask you to move by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. I'm, uh, of course, as you know, we are celebrating and recognizing Black History Day. This is our Black History Day today. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings and make you feel bad, but I just have to simply tell the truth. Is that okay? Amen. I got the microphone. I'm going to tell it anyway, right? 
And so singer, songwriter, producer, also known as the godfather of soul, Mr. Dynamite and soul brother number one, released a song in 1968, which he recorded with some children by the name of Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Now this song featured what is called the call and response technique. And this, the call and response technique was rooted in African music. And you will recognize this technique because some of the songs that we sing uses that uh, technique, yeah. the call and response. Yeah. Uh, if we were to sing All the Glory Belongs to You, if we were singing that whole song, we say, I would say ha, and then y'all say ha, lay, lay, lu. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the call and response technique right there. This song was released after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, following pressure from fans to take a stance, for him to take a stance on the civil rights movement, talking about Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown said the song needed to teach pride, and it went on to become the anthem for the black power movement. Now, some people call it militant, and perhaps it was, because it does sound angry, but the times demanded it because America was changing. Being black and proud does not mean we are arrogant or haughty, but what it means is that we have self-respect and that we're full of vigor or energy and we have spirit. That's what proud in this context means. The lyrics read this, it says, look at here. Some people say we got a lot of malice. Some people say it's a lot of nerve. I say we won't quit moving till we get what we deserve. We've been duped and we've been scorned. We've been treated bad and talked about just as sure as you're born. That's a, <laughs> comes out of church, right? <laughs> But just as sure as it takes two eyes to make a prayer, brother, we can't quit until we get our share. So say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. 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 Writer and literary critic Ralph Ellison said, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. When we discover who we are, then we can truly be free. Amen. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis is known as the book of Moses. In ancient Jewish and Christian tradition, he is known for writing the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also known as the, the Torah or the Pentateuch. Alright? Genesis is also known as the book of beginnings. It is critical because it sets the stage for the rest of, of Scripture. In Genesis, we have the creation of the universe, man and woman, the mandate for humans to rule the earth, the first marriage, Satan's opposition to humanity, the fall of humanity into sin, God's promised defeat of Satan through the seed of the woman, 
Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, God's covenant with Abraham, the faith of Abraham, the sacrifice of Isaac, the introduction of the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel, and all of that, the story of Joseph, and all of which points towards Jesus. Now, before we go on, I need you to remove all the images in your mind you have likely saw of Jesus from the Western point of view. All right? You got to remove those images out your mind, okay? And don't nobody get mad but the devil, amen? So look at verse number, chapter 2, verse number 7, it says this. And the Lord God formed man of the what? Dust of the ground. And he did what? Breathe into his nostrils what? The breath of life. And man became what? A living soul. Now chapter 1 describes creation in broad strokes. But in chapter 2, God, through Moses, decided to zoom in not just on the, all of the human race. But he focused in, zoomed in on Adam and created and the creation of Adam, okay? Adam in Hebrew refers this, refers to that which comes from the ground. Now with the introduction of the name Lord, God introduced himself relationally, relationally to his creation, okay? God made Adam from the same ground that he was to oversee. Okay? He made Adam from the same stuff that God gave him power over, okay? Hmm? God also breathed into Adam as we read the breath of life. John 1, 4 says this, in him was life. God gave mankind the precious life that only he could give. Okay? Now, this combination is astounding because Adam was at one and the same time a piece of dirt and he was a bearer of God's own bread. He was a piece of dirt, but he bared God's breath, meaning that God breathed into Adam's nostril and literally made him become a living being. At the same time, he was a piece of dirt. God's breath was strong enough to carry throughout the generations to multiply billions of people, including me and you. That one breath gives us life. That started with Adam. That same breath that he gave Adam is the same breath that he gave us. Amen. This should keep you from thinking or keep us from thinking too, thinking too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. God, the Father, Creator, and Sustainer made us out of the most mundane material imaginable. Dirt. <laughs> but with that dirt, he infused his spirit through his breath. And like Adam, we are all a fusion of the divine and we are dusty. <laughs> We are both divine and we are dusty. Amen? Amen. Let's go a little bit deeper and see what else. Let's go to um, verse 21. 
And it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he did what? Slept. And he took out one of his ribs, the first surgery, without any anesthesia, and closed up the flesh instead thereof without stitches. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a what? Woman. God formed Adam, but he fashioned Eve. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right? When God made man, he took some dirt and threw it together. When he made woman, he took his time. <laughs> don't, don't think too highly of yourself. Y'all just dusty as we are. Amen. <laughs> Why was this important? In 19, let's take, let me take you somewhere. Let me, this is following. In 1988, Newsweek magazine wrote an article in which scientists traced DNA through an international assortment of genes and followed the trail that led to a single woman from whom they believed all people descended. They were reluctant, but they had to call her Eve. Later on, Adam named her that. And Eve in Hebrew means living or life. And she was given that name because she is the mother of all living. The scientists' evidence linked that Eve lived in sub-Sahara Africa. They concluded that she most likely had dark hair and she was a dark-skinned woman. Hmm? Yeah. Gotta know where you're coming from so you can truly be free. <laughs> Other geneticists traced and regarded Adam as the great father of all people. And as we read in verses 21 and 22, Eve's existence did not come independently of man. It's interesting to note that Eve was taken out of a man, and then Eve got turned it around to where. Every man was born out of me. Yeah. Right. Yes. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Deep, man. Yeah. Eve was born out of man, taken out of man, and then Eve became the mother of all men. Yes. Women, boys, and girls. Right. Amen. God is awesome, God. Amen. Yes. And according to biblical, archaeological, and DNA evidence, Evidence, blackness, take this out, is humanity's norm, and whiteness is the exception rather than the rule. It's the derivation, not the origination. All right, I know y'all can, okay. And I'm not trying to put anyone down or make you feel bad about yourself, but the development of white people occurred later in the history of humanity. Yes, right. Just like Rennie alluded to, the black national anthem came before the Star Spangled Banner. Yes. It's a lot of things that we've done before that we don't get credit for. Amen. Amen. I want you to say, I want you, I want you to hear me. We didn't come from a monkey or some sort of curse or were an accident of creation or and we are not inferior. Come on, preach. We were created by God 
And we were smack dab in the middle of creation. And I believe that's why we suffered so much persecution as a people. Because we came directly from God through Eve. And when you want to make a parent get riled up, you mess with their baby. Huh? Some of y'all got kids. When somebody mess with your baby, they bring out a new you out. They bring a new you out of you. <laughs> and that you might not be too good, right? <laughs> Amen. And the same thing with God. The devil knew that to get under God's skin, you had to mess with his children. Amen. So back to verse 7. And the Lord God turned man out of the dust of God, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? Life. Now, the very dust in this verse was envisioned as the soil of Africa. Which means, accordingly, man was African Edenic. In the Garden of Eden was, was, was in the earth, right? But it was on Africa, is believed. And the Bible clearly tells us that there is one Father God and one Mother Earth. Mother Earth is Africa. Now there are two places on my bucket list that I'm praying that I'll be able to go to. One is Africa and the other is the Holy Land. And the order is in that exact order. Africa first, then the Holy Land. Amen. In fact, what I have on today was bought back from a good friend of mine who is Nigerian who had this made. I just had to get down in size to wear it. I've had it for a year. <laughs> Amen. But it's on my bucket list to get to Africa. Now, you can go from black to white, but you can't go from white to black. Amen. As I said in the past, it gets tried every time someone lays up goes on vacation, go or goes into a tanning booth. They might get temporarily darker, but eventually they go back to their original color. If y'all hadn't noticed, I'm tanned throughout the year. <laughs> I'm tanned throughout the year. Amen. And even though they persecute us, they want to look like us. Why you say that? They fill in their lips until they look like ducks. They butt, and they try to become our color to the point they are even orange. So say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. They want to be us, but they can't endure like us. Because God put within us something. Something that came directly from him that even when they push us down, the more we continue to rise. The more they try to make us work harder, we get smarter and we'll invent a cotton gin. The way they want to make us cut the grass, we'll invent a lawnmower. They want to freeze us, we'll make a radiator. Amen. They want to kill us, we'll make a stoplight. Amen. What am I trying to tell us? Is that we are not inferior to any 
are God's chosen people. Amen. Amen. So let's look at where we came from. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair or beautiful, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he, is, he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years old. Let me stop there. We were originally created to not have end of days, but the fall put a limit on our lives. We were created actually originally to live forever. Amen. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sound like we're still there right now. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I could preach there, but I'm not standing there. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But verse 8 says, but Noah found what? Grace. Found grace, which means favor here, in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And verse 10 finally says, And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, names were important in those days as they meant something and told you whom you were and where you came from. Shem means this. It, meant, it means renowned or famous of a famous reputation. Jacob means open and open-minded. Ham means hot, heat, burnt. And some scholars go as far as to say black. Ham is regarded as the father of black people, so we are going to concentrate on him and his descendants, which are our ancestors. Now, some Bible scholars have tried to link black skin as a mark of punishment from God, but there is no biblical evidence of that. The only time in Scripture God does something with the skin is when he turns skin white with leprosy. Amen. And as we just read, Ham had four sons. His four sons, and his, Sam had four sons. His four sons' names was Cush, slash Ethiopia, Mizraim, or Egypt, Put, or Foot, and Canaan. So we're going to concentrate on Cush. Cush, Ethiopia, and his descendants had more verses than the other two brothers. All right? Ham did. I'm sorry. Ham did. Amen. Or Cush did. He had 15. 
The kingdom of Cush, Ethiopia, being located on Africa, was situated south of the territory of Egypt in the North Sudan. And if you look at a map, Egypt is connected to the continent of Africa. Now, I didn't think of this for the longest time until I looked at a map and I saw Egypt connected to the continent of Africa because they make you think that Egypt was separated from the continent. That it was its own thing. But Egypt is a part of Africa. Sudan is a region lying across Africa, south of the Sahara, north of the equator. So it's hot. So if it's hot, that means the sun is out. And if the sun is out, that means people are dark. Right? Amen. All right. Now check this out. Cush, Ethiopia was a land of riches, and it was broader than Egypt. It had gold, topaz, emeralds, roses, vine, olive, sugar, cane, cotton, orange or lemon trees that grew the size of apple trees. Cush, Ethiopia had an inexhaustible supply of building materials of first quality, including sandstone, limestone, and granite. It was a land of pyramids, temples, colonnades, animals, and statues. And it was not limited to the continent of Africa. It spread. And it was also called the land of the blacks. God had given his people more than they needed. Amen. Now, this is important to note. The reason you don't see the term black in the King James Version of the Bible because it was written in 1611. They wrote Ethiopian in the Bible, and if you read through it, you'll see it, because it didn't give the image of a black man to the English reading white mind, but it imaged a white man with a blackish tan. This is illustrated, y'all, have y'all seen the Ten Commandments? That was, that was like in the 60s? Who played Moses? Charles Nelson. And where were they at? In Egypt. And sent Moses out into the desert, and he came back the same color as he left. Right. Amen. <laughs> and see, they wrote that in say Ethiopian, but if you look at the hair color and the skin color and the geographical location, you know that can't be true. That King James translator refused to identify the black people whom they held as slaves with black people in the Bible. Why? They needed to justify slavery and pacify their consciences. Mm. So every time you read or think of Ethiopia in the King James Version, think in your mind, black Africa. Let's go a little deeper to what it means really for us. So we have established that Eve was our mother mm -hmm. and that she was created or fashioned out of, out of a rib from Adam mm -hmm. in the sub-Sahara, which means they believe that she was proven that she was a dark-skinned woman yes. and that all life came from Mother Earth or Africa and that we were black and then eventually, the further you got from there, it started changing colors to what we have now. However, what does this mean for us who are black and proud? Let's go to chapter 10. 
talking about Cush or Ethiopia. Verse 8 says this, And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom, and you keep reading all the way through the 14th verse. So, so Nimrod is described as the first of the mighty men to appear on the earth after the great flood. And just as we read in chapter 6, there were giants before the flood and there were giants after the flood. And it's believed Nimrod was one of those giants after the flood. He was a mighty warrior. He was a hunter. And he was, and, 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 and a discovery or an act from, the, from the examination of biblical texts and other ancient documents, Nimrod was one of these mighty men. And he was much larger, according to the evidence, than the average man. But more importantly, Nimrod was a king. How do you say that? How do you know that? Because verse 10 says, in the beginning of his what? Kingdom. kingdom. Which, in order to have a kingdom, you have to be a king. <laughs> There's no kingdom without a king. And you can't be a king without a kingdom. So Nimrod was a what? And I'm not talking about T'Challa. There was a good representation. I'm talking about Nimrod, the king. Amen. He was the first great leader of a world civilization. His presence and accomplishments confirmed the unique early leadership role that black people played in world history. Even though he, and then Nimrod got full of himself and he led the world away from God, God has a desire for us to learn from Nimrod so we won't make the same mistake. So this is where it comes to us. Alright? God needs you and me to become hunters. Or to become hunters, not of kingdoms, but for the expansion of the kingdom. Because when you become a believer, you are a king, number one, you are a kingdom builder. God needs us to step back into our purpose, which is to become a kingdom builder. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Kingdom builder. God needs us to be kingdom builders. Because we derive from a king, right? All the way back to Nimrod, to when you received Jesus, who was a king. That means makes us king and queens. The Bible tells us we are that in Revelation. We are a kingdom of priests. A kingdom. We are a kingdom. And we are kingdom people. Amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, 
until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the what? Kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Of course, they were off. <laughs> he was talking about the kingdom of God and they are talking about the kingdom of Israel and he said unto them it is not for you to know the times nor the season which the father has put in his own power but you shall receive what? power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses witnesses or a kingdom builders unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth we, was, we are supposed to be kingdom builders spreading out in, in like Nimrod did we are supposed to be witnesses in other words a kingdom builder is this is someone who has a purpose to live for now we all have individual purposes but universally the church has a universal purpose, and that purpose is to be a witness. Amen. What is a witness? It's someone who attests to a fact. So in order to be an effective witness for Jesus, you need to have first-hand knowledge of him. Yes. <laughs> you can't be a witness if you don't know him. That's right. And I mean first-hand knowledge. All right? First John 1, 1 through 3, New King James, I have to go there, says this, That which was born from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word, Jesus of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us, that we, which we have seen and heard declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when John talks about Jesus, he is not delivering second-hand information. He is communicating about what he saw, observed, and touched. And though our experience won't be like John, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you will be touched by Jesus. You will experience Jesus. You will be led by Jesus. And you will be filled with the Holy Ghost because of Jesus. Amen? To be effective in your witness, you need several basic things. This is this. The one of the things you need is your witness must be about Jesus. <laughs> All right? What is, the Apostle Paul defined the gospel as this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are not explaining the sacrifice of Jesus, then you are not really sharing the gospel. 
The important part of this theme is the fact that Jesus is the only way of salvation, not just one of many ways. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Wow. Through me. There is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. So if you're going to be effective in your witness, you have to talk about Jesus when you're witnessing. Yeah. Okay? The theme of it is, Je is Jesus. The power of their witness is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Titus 3 and 5, part B says this. He saved us through the washing and of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It is God the Holy Spirit who transforms a life. And a transformed life is evident to all. You don't transform a life. That's, right. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So the power of your witness is the Holy Spirit. And you need to spend time in prayer which and give the Holy Spirit authorization to use you. How? To show you where to go and who to witness to. And how to do it. Amen? Amen? Now the validity of your witness will be shown in how you live. You can't be a witness if you're acting like the same people you're trying to witness to. Your life should be different. You should look different. Amen? But then also, you talk about Jesus, you let the Holy Ghost lead you and talk to you, and your life shows your witness, but it's okay to talk about how you got saved. <laughs> because some of the people that you're trying to witness to know your story already. And you need to tell them how God was able to deliver you and if he can deliver you, he can deliver them. Amen? Amen? So you need to be a kingdom builder. You need to be an emancipator. Mm -hmm. Like Harriet Tubman. Oh, well, let's go to the scripture first. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. It says, Luke chapter 4. Verse 16, and it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood, for, stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he, because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them which are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And all that to say, Jesus came and we are to come as kingdom builders to emancipate. And emancipator means emancipator means to be a free to, to to free a person from bondage or slavery. Right. And since we're talking about black history, and it's been mentioned in series, Harriet Tubman was an emancipator. Amen. She led dozens of enslaved people to freedom in the north along the route of the Underground Railroad, which was a secret network of safe houses organized for that purpose. And I didn't know this until a couple of years ago that the Underground Railroad ran through Illinois. That's right. mm -hmm. There are safe houses or 
places where safe houses once were that were a part of the Underground Railroad. My thinking was that the Underground Railroad ran from Alabama through Philadelphia or somewhere. But come to find out that it's right around, it through Peoria and around the surrounding counties, there were safe houses here for the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman said, if I could have convinced more slaves that they were slaves, I could have freed thousands more. The difference between what she had to do is, we don't have to convince anyone because that's the Holy Spirit's job. <laughs> Amen. The Holy Spirit is the convictor or the convincer of people that they have sinned and need Jesus. Amen. As a believer, you need to be an emancipator by allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you to show someone who is bound by sin that they are indeed bound. But now I've got to send, send up a warning, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about today. We need to be a kingdom builder, yeah. And we need to be emancipators, yeah. But we have to watch out for this. It's okay to be black and proud, but don't get caught up in your pride. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's okay to be black and proud, but not to get caught up in your pride. Last scriptures. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Don't get caught up in your pride. Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse 16. And it says this. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, or they are things that he detests. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, or actually says, pours out lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. We all know that God hates sin, but the sin of pride is detestable to him. It's first on God's list. That same sin, pride, led Satan to rebel against God and set up a rival kingdom. Pride is typically the headwaters of other sin. In other words, if you get caught up in pride, you open the door for the others. The other what? The other seven, the other six that he wrote down here. Amen? Proud people or people that are full of pride take little account of their weaknesses and do not anticipate stumbling. People full of pride think they are above common people. When you get full of pride, you can easily be tripped up. Another place says, pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall. Pride leads you to disgrace. It leads you to conflict. It leads you to punishment. It leads you to destruction. It ends in downfall and it brings humiliation. But 
Humility will lead you to wisdom. Humility will allow you to take advice, meaning that you ain't the smartest one in the room. Amen. Amen. Even though you might be, you don't have to act like it. But you, be, you should be willing to listen. Humility leads you to honor. It ends in honor, but most of all, it brings honor to God. So just because you're black and proud, don't get caught up in your pride. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. So we need to be kingdom builders. We need to be emancipators. But we need to especially watch getting caught up in our pride. Yes. Because pride will lead you away from God. And Nimrod, even though he was a great king, had many kingdoms, he got caught up in pride. And that was his downfall. So I said all that to say, it's okay to learn from our history so we won't repeat our history. And if anybody, and since we're on the subject of history, don't let them take your history away from you. You have to push through and get it for yourself. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So say it loud. Say it loud. Say it loud. Say it loud. But don't get full of pride. <laughs> Amen. Thank God for his word and how he linked us in the Bible. Because a lot of times we don't think of ourselves because of the picture that's been painted of us. Amen. And pictures that we've seen on walls in Western culture. I will say that if you go into another country though, they have uh, artist renditions of the actual uh, people the way they actually look. If you go to even in Russia, they have renditions of what Jesus looked like and they don't look like the ones we have on our walls here in the Western culture. So take pride in yourself. Be proud of yourself meaning this. Have self-respect. That's it. Self-respect. That's it. Energy. Mm -hmm. And walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can only have those things, though, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Because you need to connect with God. And the only way to connect with God is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand to your feet. Amen.